The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to Worldwide Exchange. It's 5 a.m. here at CNBC. Here is your top five at five. Market staging a comeback is falling bond yields, giving a big boost to growth stocks. That rebound trying to continue today. The futures, they are searching for direction right now. Oil also trying to rebound after a dramatic tumble with crude falling back below $100 a barrel amid mounting recession fears. We're going to dive into the price action. And breaking news on the energy front with the word that OPEC Secretary General Mohamed Barkindo has died. The very latest on his sudden passing. And U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson facing a fresh political crisis after two of his top cabinet members resign suddenly. We're live in London with the very latest. And Amazon apparently having an appetite for a deal, teaming up with one of the food ordering companies to get into the meal delivery business. It is Wednesday, July 6th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Thanks for watching Worldwide Exchange. Let's kick off the hour with a check on the markets and your money right now. Futures, as we said, they are struggling for direction. Stock staging a comeback to finish the session off lows yesterday, thanks to falling bond yields boosting growth stocks. The Dow closing down 129 points. The S&P eking out a slight gain, while the Nasdaq finished up about one and three quarters of a percent. And speaking of bond yields, let's get a check on Treasuries and the bond market flashing some fresh signals of recession worries, with the 10-year yield rising above the 10-year on Tuesday. Excuse me, the two-year rising above the 10-year on Tuesday, also known as a yield curve inversion. The 10-year now currently at 2.813 percent. Take a look at the two-year. It's right at the top of your screen. 2.824 percent. Again, an inverted yield curve right there. We also want to check on the oil market with after WTI fell below $100 a barrel on Tuesday. Right now, we're seeing WTI just a tick over $100 a barrel. Brent crude, well, pretty comfortably above $100 a barrel at 104. Natural gas also much higher today, up 2 percent. We also have to get a check on cryptocurrency. Bitcoin right now just above 20,000 at 20,133, down very slightly at this moment. Of course, cryptocurrencies trade around the clock. Ether's price down very slightly as well, just above 1,100. Both of them 70% off of their highs. The action coming as another crypto lender announced it's filing for bankruptcy. Much more coming up on that. All right, let's go worldwide right now. Our Juliana Tattlebaum. She's in our London newsroom with much more on the early trade over in Europe. Good morning, Juliana. Frank. Frank, it's great to see you. Well, here in Europe, equity markets are on the rise, on the mend after yesterday's steep sell-off. Uh, we've got green across the board, but we have come off the highs of the day. So as U.S. futures turn negative, we are seeing a little bit of the shine come off this rally. To put this into context, yesterday the stock 600 dropped more than 2%. So different trading session to what you saw stateside. We didn't get that big boost from uh, rate expectations changing for growth stocks. Instead, we just saw stocks trade lower. The energy crisis firm 
firmly in focus here in Europe and also recession fears. The Eurozone PMIs yesterday confirmed a grim picture for the continent moving forward. But we are seeing green across the board from a market perspective. Turning to the sectors, this is what the picture looks like this morning. We got to the top of the board media up 2.5%. Also strong demand for the retail sector up 2.4%. Technology catching a bit up 2.1%. And interestingly, travel and leisure up 2%. We were up more than 3% at one stage this morning, despite all the travel chaos that continues in Europe. On the downside, we've got banks underperforming down about 0.9%. Oil and gas down 0.5%. But overall, it is a positive session coming together here in the UK. Investors keeping a close eye on the political situation. And I know you've got Steve to give you the latest there. That's absolutely right. Juliana, thank you very much for the latest on the early trade over in Europe. Now to that breaking news with word that OPEC Secretary General Mohamed Barkindo has passed away. Our Steve Sedgwick is live in London with much more. Steve, I know you're very familiar with the former Secretary General and also the OPEC meetings. How do you see this impacting the oil market and, you know, the next moves of OPEC? Yeah, Frank, very good morning to you. I knew Mohamed Barkindo for the best part of 20 years, way before he was Secretary General. He was a key part of the Nigerian delegation to OPEC. And and, and it's no underestimate to say that I think he was instrumental in transforming OPEC into an effective organization. Let me just go back six years. Six years before it became OPEC Plus, with the Russians involved, it was all at sea. Members were cheating left, right and center. They couldn't hold discipline. Now, with Khalid Al-Fali, the Saudi oil minister at the time, uh, plus Alexander Novak, the Russian oil minister, what Barkindo managed to do is put forward a new grouping, a wider grouping, OPEC Plus, with the Russians on board. Something people never thought would happen. I never thought would happen. Uh, and as such, it became an effective grouping, an effective cartel, as far as many of the consumers are concerned. So, of course, a very divisive uh, issue on that as well. But for the producers, it gave them discipline, it gave them new meaning, and it gave them new power onto the oil markets. For the consumers, for the IA, for a, a lot of our viewers who are paying high price for gasoline, uh, they won't celebrate so much the fact that OPEC and OPEC Plus became so effective. But there is no doubt about it. Mohamed Barkindo was an absolute giant in the oil industry. And I have to say on a personal note, whatever you may think about OPEC, whatever you may think about the organization, he was incredibly affable uh, and always open to questioning from CNBC and others. So, Steve, uh, I have to note that you're there at 10 Downing Street. You're also following a developing story there in London with British Prime Minister Boris Johnson really fighting to hold on to power after several of his senior cabinet members have quit. What's the very latest there? Yeah, look, Boris Johnson is no doubt facing another crisis. It perhaps started with what was called the Sue Gray reporting to Downing Street parties uh, in May uh, about uh, illicit gatherings during the COVID lockdowns here in the UK. It's moved forward into a, a couple of really disastrous uh, by-elections that he suffered in the last month or so. He had a confidence vote, which he narrowly won, and a lot more backbenchers of his own party uh, voted to no confidence in the British Prime Minister. Now he's had a couple of senior resignations, including the Chancellor of the Exchequer, our Finance Secretary, Uh, Rishi Sunak, who said he can no longer work with Boris Johnson uh, and also a very key player in the cabinet as well. The health secretary uh, as well has also resigned. He's moved very quickly to replace those two as well and and circle the wagons. But there are still uh, a lot of vultures crying for his head on this one as well. He's got Prime Minister's question time today. That will be absolutely key. There could be changes to the backbench constitution, the committee, which could mean at some stage he faces another confidence vote within the next few weeks and months as well. So there's a lot of problems on the short term agenda. Uh, for Prime Minister Johnson. So, Steve, before we let you go, I've got to ask, uh, what happens next? Let's say, you know, Boris Johnson's managed to survive this latest challenge. What are the next steps and what does that mean for the UK? 
Well, politicians here in the UK, they get lovely long holidays, Frank, and the next one is due to start on July 21st, uh, the, the, the summer recess as well. If Boris Johnson can make it to that stage and regroup and concentrate perhaps on the big policies, the support for Ukraine, the cost of living crisis, fighting uh, inflation uh, and, and trying to round off the COVID crisis as well, uh, then he may well indeed survive as well. But the rebels are really uh, very, very much on the ascendancy here as well. He's got a couple of former cabinet ministers as of this morning who are against him as well and may potentially see themselves uh, as uh, potential uh, suitors for his job as well. I'm just looking behind me just in case we had anyone coming out of number 10, nothing at the moment. So it could well be changes to the constitution of the Conservative Party very, very soon, which means he could well face another immediate challenge uh, from backbenchers who have no confidence in him. Otherwise, uh, it's likely he will make it to that summer recess uh, and then who knows what will happen next. But it seems almost certain he will not resign unless the, 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 the res resignations we've seen so far becomes a torrent and we see more cabinet ministers resigning. All right, Steve, we know we're going to bring you the very latest. Hard not to hear the other reporters all around you right there on 10 Downing Street waiting for the very latest. Thanks for that update. We appreciate it. All right, investors are bracing for key data on the state of the economy today. This morning, we get the first taste in this week's wave of jobs data with the May job openings and labor turnover, turnover survey, also known as the JOLTS report. Then at 2 p.m., we get the minutes from the Fed policy meeting last month and signals on the next steps in its rate hike strategy. For much more on this, let's bring in Chuck Self, Chief Investment Strategist with Tandem Wealth. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Frank. So, Chuck, a lot to unpack here. We've got a lot going on in the U.K. We've got a lot going on here in the U.S. It's going to kind of run it down really quick. Right now, markets flat to slightly higher ahead of a, after a big rebound on Wall Street yesterday. We've got falling bond yields, the 10-year falling possible yield curve inversion. I'm just reading it off. It's a long list, Chuck. So you're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, could, that could signal a recession. And then the Fed minutes later today, also the JOLTS report. So, like I said, a lot of data, a lot of information. How do you see that shaping up the markets today and also what we're going to hear from the Fed? Well, we pretty much know what the Fed feels about things. Uh, the governors have been very positive uh, uh, about that they're going to continue to raise rates for a while. The Jones report could be very important. 11 million is the consensus. And if it's significantly different from that, that could be market moving maybe in a, in a different way in that if it's very high, the market might like it because they might think, well, the Fed is going to uh, slow down. And so uh, that's going to be a very important report uh, to, to look at. Uh, we actually think the Fed is going to slow down. So um, we're looking forward to seeing that report. All right. Some other big news out this morning. The Secretary General of OPEC passing away overnight. Obviously, energy, the whole energy complex has been very volatile. We've seen some big rises recently. We've seen a fall in oil prices. How do you see this impacting the energy market that's also very sensitive to these recession fears? Well, like other markets, when uh, a bull market is happening in a in a certain sector, let's say the energy sector in this case, you can have some very quick, big declines. And we certainly have seen that lately. But when you look at the long term, the oil market and commodities in general are the place to be over the next few years. They're going to become the, the Tina, that there's no other alternative <laughs> as stocks and bonds uh, continue to have uh, problems. Yes, uh, bonds are have declined, yields have declined lately. But uh, it's still going to be relatively range-bound. And stocks, uh, especially if we're going into a recessionary type of time, are, are going to have problems. So we are very positive on energy. Obviously, that was the only sector that's been up uh, so far this year. And we think that's going to continue. 
So, Chuck, you're, you're positive on energy and other commodities. But mm-hmm. recently, commodities have taken a bit of a dip. I was just looking it mm-hmm. up. Um, gold's down about 4% over the last month, despite inflation. And often it's seen as an inflation hedge. We've seen copper down more than 20% over the last month. A lot of people feel like that's a leading economic indicator. Mm-hmm. And one that I, I was really curious, I want to get your take on this. Palladium's also down about 2%, 3% yeah. over the last month. And that's something that we need for everything electronic we have in the whole world. And the supply has definitely been, let's just say, uh, you know, lessened due to the Russian-Ukraine war. Why aren't we seeing rises in those commodities? And what should that tell us about the markets? Well, the U.S. dollar has been so strong, uh, and and that has affected all the commodity prices, whether it's oil, precious metals, um, copper, some of the other metals that you talked about. But again, we think this is a short-term situation. Certainly with lower yields, uh, the U.S. dollar becomes less attractive. And most importantly, if the uh, market starts to feel that the Fed is not going to be uh, raising as quickly or as long as they expect, then the dollar is going to drop significantly. And because we have uh, negative real rates, it's going to be uh, a place to go to will be the precious metals and especially metals such as palladium that also have an industrial uh, component uh, that has that are short in supply. Yes, the economy may slow down, but uh, automobiles, which is the major user for uh, palladium, is going to c- consider being made. And more palladium is needed in electric vehicles mm-hmm. than in uh, gas or diesel um, uh, vehicles. So uh, we we're bullish on all the precious metals. Uh, and and we think especially uh, gold stocks should be bought here uh, on this right. dip. All right. Well, dollar price uh, up four percent over the last month, impacting a lot of different sectors, including commodities. Check self. We yes. appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Frank. All right. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, the, Ger- the German government reportedly said to step in and step up to bail out one local gas giant amid that country's growing energy crisis. Plus, energy woe is just one part in a growing list of issues facing the European Union and growing worries around its economy, the growing signals of deeper trouble ahead. And Walmart reportedly warning suppliers of price hikes ahead, the new moves by the retail giant to navigate rising costs. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Shares of German gas giant Uniper falling today on word that the government there is in talks with the company about a possible bailout. Now, this move comes as Uniper, which relies very heavily on cheap Russian gas, grapples with Moscow cutting off the supplies. The German energy crisis, just one piece of the puzzle that is Europe's economy and leading to growing concerns about its economic strength. The euro hovering at its lowest levels in roughly 20 years amid mounting fears of recession hitting that region.
For much more on the state of Europe, let's bring in Chris Williamson, IHS Market Chief Business Economist. Chris, thank you for being here with us. Hi there. So, Chris, uh, we're watching two possible indicators of recession here in the U.S. It's the inverted yield curve. Also, the dollar and the euro at parity. Um, you're somebody that's obviously watching all these different moves. What do you make of it? And are we worried about a recession in Europe broadening to the global economy? I think there's concern mounted. Yeah, that recession risk have definitely risen. We've even had some more data out today on the construction industries of Europe, both the Eurozone and the U.K., which have turned down further. Uh, so there's a, it seems that there's a, a shift now towards less investment in fixed assets, which, which mirrors what we've seen in business sentiment generally. So the, the, the numbers that we've got now, especially in Europe, are on the surface not particularly worrying but it, it, in terms of current activity, but it's those future indicators that are rattling the markets. Things like order books, orders inventory levels and so forth, their business expectations. These are all now down to some of the lowest levels that we've seen for a few years, um, which is worrying because we, we've normally dipped into this territory when you've had a tightening of pandemic restrictions, for example. We've not got that at the moment. This is all about recession fears mounting, forming a sort of vicious cycle of confidence, sagging, bringing growth down further, being is led by Europe, where you've got inflation pressures and the, the prospect of early gas supply constraints kicking in in the, in the winter, really painting a bleak picture of production capabilities and rising cost of living, uh, hampering economic growth through the year. Less so in the US, but there's this spillover, this whole business confidence issue now, which is preying on minds. Well, here in the U.S., uh, rising gas prices, rising gas prices, excuse me, have been part of the issue that have been lowering the strength of the consumer. Is it similar over there in Europe? Have rising gas prices or rising heating oil prices in some cases, have that dampened the strength of the, the consumer over there? What does demand look like? Um, absolutely. This is key to all the, the oil energy price is, is really key to what's happening at the moment in terms of souring sentiment. Uh, obviously, with currencies weakening, as we've seen with the euro, as we're also seeing with pound sterling, that simply exacerbates the, the, the increase in global energy prices, which are normally dollar denominated. So it's costing more to, to buy energy than before, simply because of those exchange rate effects. So it's magnifying the impact. We've also got concerns in Europe about gas supply coming from Nord Stream and so forth, the Russian uh, sanctions causing this big energy crunch uh, here, here in Europe. Uh, that is, is we're, we're at the stage now where, where companies are are saying they might not be able to operate in the winter when when the gas supplies are restricted. So this is fueling further this this whole downturn fear that that could just keep rolling throughout the year. Chris, I think you might have been burying the lead there. A lot of companies saying the, the price of energy might stop them from operating. That's pretty shocking, especially just to, to hear and how that's going to impact a lot of people over there in the Eurozone. One last question before we let you go. I know you're also looking at PMI, the Purchasing Managers Index. I know you touched on it a bit earlier, but what are you seeing? What does that signal to you, those numbers? Because you're still seeing some growth there in the Eurozone. Yeah, we're still seeing some growth at the moment, but it gets those forward-looking indicators the, the, the gap between growth of output and demand is the key one to look at here. And generally, across the board, this is in Europe and US, what you've got happening at the moment is that order book growth is weakening much more than output. And this gap 
this spread means that companies are going to be looking at their order books and saying, hang on, we're making too much at the moment for demand conditions at the moment. And the implications of that is you cut production in coming months, you start cutting workforces, and you start reducing your inventories. There's a big shift now to companies looking at their inventories saying, we're holding too much in our warehouses, looking at what we plan to produce in the next year or so. So that um, inventory unwinding will exacerbate the demand growth slowdown, as well as further bring prices down as well, I think. Wow. Inventory issues, rising energy costs. Sounds a lot like what we're facing here in the U.S. A lot of similarities there. Chris Williamson from IHS Market. We appreciate the insight. Thank you. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. New worries in the crypto space with yet another lender finding itself in crisis as the sector faces some fresh questions about solvency. We are back in a moment. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently. And a live look at 30 Rock in New York City. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest right there by 30 Rock. Hey, Philip. Inside the building, in fact. Frank, good morning. Vice President Kamala Harris made a surprise visit to Highland Park last night. The VP spoke about access to high-powered rifles like the one used in the parade attack. The 21-year-old shooting suspect has been charged with seven counts of first-degree murder. But the state's attorney made it clear that there would be more charges coming. The death toll from that July 4th attack has grown to seven. This includes parents Kevin and Irina McCarthy. The couple leaves behind a two-year-old boy who was found during the chaotic aftermath and reunited with his grandparents. A GoFundMe for the family has raised nearly $2 million. 30 million Americans are under the threat of wicked weather. A tornado touched down in Bowie, Maryland, just east of Washington, D.C. Several trees there were toppled and shingles were ripped from roofs. And down in New Orleans, bands of heavy rain flooded the streets. It took about an hour for floodwaters to drain in parts of the city. Finally this morning, Stranger Things 4 is now the second Netflix series to hit over a billion hours streamed. Only Squid Game had more. The sci-fi hit is now the most popular English language series on the platform just days after the release of Volume 2. That's it from here, Frank. Send it back to you. I've never seen it, Philip. Have you ever seen it before? I watched the first season, but there are just so many things out there. My attention span went away, and I haven't gotten (laughs) back to it yet. It is good, though. The one season I saw. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about uh, Umbrella Academy on Netflix. That's one of my favorite shows. This season's been great, but never have seen Stranger Things. I'm a big sci-fi fan. i got to check it out. Philip Mena in New York. We appreciate it. Thanks. All right. All right. Still on deck. Oil bouncing back after falling just below 100 bucks a barrel. We dive into the price action and whether a further pullback could take shape. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or many other podcast apps and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back.
Stocks looking to keep Tuesday's comeback mentality going. Futures searching for some direction ahead of the open. Also, oil staging a comeback after WTI falls just below 100 bucks a barrel. Saxo's banks, Ole Hansen, is going to lay out while rising prices. They may not be done just yet. And Amazon, hungry for a new team-up, looking to food delivery to making a move in that sector. It is Wednesday, July the 6th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. In for Brian Sullivan. It is just about 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Here is how the markets and your money look right now. The futures, well, they're off their lows in the morning. They were about flat to slightly higher earlier. Right now, well, they're down very slightly. All of them down across the board right now. We're waiting for this to work. All right, here it goes. Down about a half a percent almost. Looks like right now the Dow could open up um, about, you know, 30 points lower right now. But again, it's very early. We are going to see changes throughout the morning. Yesterday, we saw a comeback to finish off the session thanks to falling bond yields. They really gave a boost to growth stocks like Robox, DocuSign, et cetera. The Dow closing down 129 points. The S&P eking out a very slight gain, while the tech-heavy Nasdaq, that finished up 1.75%. And speaking of bond yields, let's get a check on Treasuries right now. The bond market flashing some fresh signals of possible recession, boosting those recession worries. The two-year yield going above the 10-year yield. Right now, we're seeing it right here. Two-year, as you can see, 2.834. The 10-year at 2.811. You kind of see it fluctuating right now. This is what we call the inverted bond curve. Um, And oil prices, they're also recovering from some losses after yesterday's session. They saw WTI crude close just below 100 bucks a barrel for the first time since late April. Supply concerns returning to the forefront, even as worries about a global recession, they just kind of linger. We're seeing WTI right now just a tick above 100 bucks a barrel, up very slightly this morning. Brent crude well above about 100 bucks a barrel at 104 right now. Also, Nash, uh, gas prices in Europe, they're pulling back today after they spiked yesterday. Norway's government intervening to end a strike that had cut oil and gas output, which could have only worsened the energy crunch there on the European continent. But Europe, it's not out of the woods just yet. Russia is set to temporarily shut the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which runs from Russia to Germany for annual maintenance starting next week. Here's a graphic of it right here. You're seeing just the way it travels right here. That's just adding the fears the gremlin. They may not turn those taps back on again. Let's talk much more about all of this with Ole Hansen, the head of commodity strategy at Saxo Bank. Ole, thanks so much for being here. Um, Got to start off with right now. What are you seeing when it comes to the commodity market right now? I know you're, you're forecasting a possible bounce, but what's going to be the catalyst for that bounce with all these headwinds that we're seeing? Good morning, Frank. Well, it's, uh, first of all, we need to obviously see this market uh, stabilize somewhat. Uh, we need to see China get, uh, get its act together. Again, we need to see growth uh, pick up there. We need to see the, the lockdowns uh, start to ease. But then also, I think we need to see uh, the, this uh, quite extremely recession fear that has crept into the market over the past months. We need to see that start to tone down a little bit. Yesterday was very interesting, and I think we also just have to accept the fact we're into July, we're into the silly season where liquidity tends to dry out, and that basically makes uh, these movements uh, quite often quite extended. And reaction function, what we saw yesterday, really, you mentioned gas price in Europe, and that I think really started the whole thing. Gas prices surge higher, the dollar surge higher against the euro, and this, uh, this strength in the dollar hitting a 20-year high against the euro basically was the trigger that sent these, uh, the commodity sector as a whole uh, sharply lower yesterday. So a lot of concerns there. I know you, you called it a capitulation across all sectors when it came to commodities and things like that. Um, we're talking about the dollar and the euro having parity, uh, recession fears in the U.S., inverted euro curve. A lot of different things going on. Um, If there is a slowdown, what commodities do you expect to be hit the hardest? 
Well, I think at this stage, uh, it, it will obviously be those that are most growth and demand dependent, which will which uh, is the industrial metal sector. But uh, we have to accept the fact that they have dropped uh, quite significantly already. We are down to more than a year low, primarily driven by the weakness uh, coming out of China. We do, obviously do not expect this weakness to uh, to to last uh, much longer. We will see a pickup in demand there. So that probably will. Uh, alleviate some of the, the fears. Also, we have to accept the fact as well that the whole transformation is not going to die by uh, by, by what we've seen recently, because the the, the move towards uh, getting getting uh, less de- becoming less dependent on Russian oil and gas is 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 very strong, and that basically means the green transformation will continue to require a lot of these uh, these uh, industrial metals. So uh, so at this point, um, a real deep recession. Probably the oil market, but at the same time, we have so very tight conditions. So you can almost argue right now we need uh, almost need a small recession in order to balance the oil market, by just thereby just keeping the prices at current levels. I think you're the first person that says has I've at least heard say we need a recession. Um, that might be a contrarian view, Ole. Um, so just looking forward to Q3, um, a lot of different things going on. You mentioned it's the silly season when it comes to liquidity. So how does that impact the price of energy and the price of some of these industrial commodities? You're talking about things like palladium, platinum, et cetera. Also neon, also something that's really needed around the global supply chain. It just basically means that uh, in the short term, uh, investors and traders uh, are more focused on reducing positions and adding, adding risks to their portfolio. And that's, uh, that's part of the reason why we're seeing this, this weakness when we uh, when we return on the other side, I think the market uh, will obviously first of all look at the uh, the uh, the inflation threat, which potentially has eased uh, a bit by, by the market's own actions. The FMC is now almost predicting higher rates than the market is, and uh, that also will will uh, attract some attention. But the, the fact that we are seeing yields coming down will also ease some of the uh, some of these concerns. So I think with that, the the the, the focus will return to the supply side, and there we still have structural issues, both in the mining industry, both in the energy sector as well. And I think these are eventually what will, will underpin the prices and, uh, and will support uh, higher prices uh, into the second half. So, Oli, I don't want to take you too far out your wheelhouse, but we have you just for another minute. Um, you did mention in your notes that you believe that commodity prices, they might have an impact not only on our Fed, but central banks around the globe and their plans to uh, hike uh, rates. Where do you where do you see commodity prices fitting into that? We've heard here in the U.S. it's all about inflation and also jobs, but you're saying commodities are also another factor. Uh, commodities, I think, is is all over the is, is all over the inflation because it is the rising input costs uh, since the pandemic and obviously accelerated by the Russian invasion in Ukraine that has brought about these uh, very high prices. Uh, uh, U.S. is now benefiting from uh, sharply lower gas prices that will start to turn up in the utility bills over the coming weeks and months. And the food prices has come down sharply as well. So, uh, so I think the the, the lower input cost, uh, at least for now, will is going to take some of the sting out of this extreme nervousness about uh, the inflation and and the recessionary impact it will have. All right, Ole Hansen, we appreciate the insight on the commodity market. Have a great day. All Thank right, you. let's check, get a check on some of your morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Frank, good morning. Well, Amazon is taking a prime step into the restaurant delivery business. It's buying a 2% stake in Grubhub and will offer Prime members access to the service for a year. Amazon customers will get free delivery on orders over $12 in the 4,000 cities where Grubhub operates. The move could drive traffic for Grubhub, which has lost U.S. market share to DoorDash and Uber Eats. The deal is also a major relief for Just Eat Takeaway, whose shares have tumbled 70% this year as investors demand it sells 
or finds a partner for Grubhub. Just Eat Takeaway bought Grubhub for nearly $6 billion last year. Walmart will charge some suppliers new fees to transport goods to its warehouses and stores due to rising fuel and shipping costs. That's according to a memo seen by the Wall Street Journal and Reuters. Walmart will impose the collect pickup charge based on a percentage of the cost of goods being received and a fuel surcharge based on the cost of gas to ship the orders. Last month, Walmart cut its profit forecast for the year, blaming rising fuel and labor costs. Meta is pushing ahead with plans to roll out access to digital collectibles for its 3 billion users, despite the crash in crypto prices. The company's new head of fintech tells the Financial Times Meta is not in any way adjusting its plans around NFTs. He says Meta sees opportunities for millions of creators to sell them through its platform. Cool, very cool. Digital yeah. collectibles. I don't know digital if I'm, I'm quite into like the NFT digital collectible world, but you know, right? It's it, it's, it's, it's still pretty cool to to see what's out there. Yeah, I still got a bunch of comic books. Yeah. Savannah. I'm, I'm an analog. <laughs> All right, Savannah. Now, thank you very you much. You got it. All right, let's get a check on crypto prices right now. Bitcoin just above that key, which become a key level, just above twenty thousand right now at twenty thousand two hundred bucks right now. Ether currently at about. 1100, uh, just under 1150, up very slightly this morning. Now, this news, uh, this movement in the price action, excuse me, is another crypto lender has filed for bankruptcy protection. Our Mackenzie Segalo, she joins us now with the very latest. Mackenzie, great to have you in studio instead of out in the bay. <laughs> it's good to be back. So, Frank, there are a growing number of crypto firms swept up in a serious liquidity bottleneck right now. Digital asset brokerage Voyager Digital filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection late Tuesday, just a few days after the platform paused all customer trading, deposits and withdrawals. Now, in that filing, Voyager said that it had more than 100,000 creditors and liabilities in the range of one to ten billion dollars. It is now the second high-profile crypto firm to seek bankruptcy protection. The once very prominent crypto hedge fund Three Arrows Capital filed a Chapter 15 petition this past Friday as part of a court-ordered liquidation. It's really this perfect illustration of the dreaded contagion effect at work. It was only last week that Three Arrows Capital defaulted on a loan to Voyager worth more than $670 million. Now, at the time, Voyager said that it wasn't a problem. They had enough cash to carry on as usual. That clearly wasn't the case. And this shows just how significant and swift the domino effect can be in the crypto market, which is why it's especially troubling that several other big name lenders in the digital asset space appear to be on the brink of liquidation. Yeah, a lot going on in the crypto space right now. I'm looking right here. Bitcoin and Ether, 70% off their highs. Solana, 80% off of their highs. Exactly. Um, off its high, excuse me. But I also want to talk to you a little bit more about those lending platforms that you mentioned. Mac, last week, right here on CNBC on Crypto Night in America, <laughs> uh, you and I were talking about Voyager Digital announcing it was suspending all withdrawals, all trades, even all deposits. Celsius did the same thing just over three weeks ago. Are those customers ever getting their money back? And what does that mean for just the investability of cryptocurrency. I mean, from what I hear, you can't really unring that bell. Once a platform suspends withdrawals, it's typically over. You mentioned Celsius, which sort of set this trend into motion nearly a month ago. There's Voyager Digital. You also saw Coin Loan and CoinFlex announce new restrictions, including some outright halts. Meanwhile, you have names like Babel Finance, BlockFi, and Vault suffering some serious insolvency issues. And the little guy is really exposed here. Remember, many of these platforms exploded in popularity because they were offering almost unbelievable returns of up to 20% APY. 
But now a lot of analysts are starting to say, hey, you know, that time of easy yield and decentralized finance, it's over. Wow. And, you know, I'm going to say what I said to you, somebody else last week. That wasn't a pep talk for crypto investors. Sounds like there's a lot of problems. So just based on what you're saying, another question, if these projects do fail, what is that signal for the sector as a whole? I mean, we're potentially looking at billions of dollars that could ultimately be liquidated in order to free up cash to pay off debts. And there's a lot of uncertainty about the timing and scope of these possible asset sales. Cumberland, a digital asset trading firm, says that all the unknowns surrounding the solvency crunch are hanging over the market like a cloud right now. And I mean, so much of this industry does operate on optics, right? So it's especially problematic when you have a lender say that all is fine one day and then they shut off the on and off ramps to cash the next. It totally erodes confidence. All right, Mackenzie Sagalos, we appreciate the insight on the crypto market. Thank you very much. Thanks, Frank. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, some potentially troubling signals for the big Apple and its real estate market. Our Robert Frank, he lays out why the red-hot market, it may actually be starting to cool off a bit. But first, as we had to break, more of your top stories. Two of the top members of the Senate Intelligence Committee are calling on the FTC to investigate TikTok and its parent company, ByteDance. Chairman Mark Warner and Marco Rubio citing TikTok's uh, repeated misrepresentations over its handling of U.S. data for that move. Spirit Airlines getting the all clear to expand at Newark Airport. The Transportation Department giving the airline the 16 available spots that were abandoned by Southwest Airlines. And Ben & Jerry's is suing parent company Unilever to stop the sale of its Israeli business to a local licensee. The ice cream brand saying Unilever's decision was made without the approval of its independent board. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back. A live look at the Manhattan skyline. Sun just coming up over New York City. New York City's real estate market continuing just to chug along thanks to a blowout second quarter on a number of metrics. But that strength starting to show just a few cracks. Our wealth editor, Robert Frank, joins us now with the new worries around the Big Apple's real estate. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Frank. Great to see you. Well, as you said, the second quarter started out great. There were over 3,800 sales. That was up over last year. Prices pushed higher. The median sales price up 11%, reaching an all-time record of $1.3 million. The average sale price also rising over $2 million. Real estate analysts had assumed that Manhattan would be largely immune to higher mortgage rates, and that's because it's mainly an all-cash market. More than half the deals done in the quarter were cash. And at the high end, when you look at sales over $4 million, 99% of all the deals were done in cash in the second quarter. But we saw a big negative reversal in June. Sales contracts, that's not deals, that's just contracts signed, that declined by 30%. Brokers say that based on the pipeline, we're likely going to see another decline in July. Unsold inventory, well, that's starting to pile up for the first time since the pandemic. The supply of new development up 31%. And prices are not coming down, at least not yet, and at least not broadly. There are fewer offers, much lower attendance at open houses, and properties are sitting on the market a lot longer. Now, one thing, Frank, that is helping the sales market right now is that rents are so high. Average rent hit a record of $4,000 a month. So a lot of people kind of priced out of the rental market and still sitting on the sidelines for sales. So kind of frozen activity right now, both sales and rentals. Wait, Robert, do you say 4000 for a rental? 
4000 average $4,000 a month for a one-bedroom in Manhattan. Wow. That's why you're that, the wealth editor. That was part of what was driving, <laughs> that was part <laughs> of what was driving the, the high end. And so it, what's interesting is that you're seeing it in the sales side, right. at least, strength uh, starting to decline at the high end at the low end you know usually we see these two sides of the of manhattan market diverge where you've got the high end weakening or strengthening and the low end doing something different this is the first cycle i've seen where both the high and the low are struggling for different reasons but they're both going down robert i think a lot of people hope it's the last time you see a cycle like this wow you know my, my relatives always say you got to be rich just to be poor in new york city wow 4,000. All right, Robert Frank, we appreciate it. And we got to do the Frank and Frank show. We keep talking about it, but we never do it. Good to see you. Frankly speaking. (laughs) All right, on deck here at Worldwide Exchange, stocks Tuesday turnaround fighting to carry over in today's trading session. Our John Najarian is standing by with where he's seeing action within the markets. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check it out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Some key economic data for investors to watch in the day ahead at 7 a.m. Eastern. We get the latest weekly mortgage applications. Then at 10 a.m., it's the May job openings and labor turnover survey or the JOLTS report. That data coming ahead of Friday's monthly jobs report. Then at 9 a.m., we're going to hear from New York Fed President John Williams. Then at 2 p.m., we got a lot going on today. We get minutes from the Fed's June policy meeting. CNBC will have full coverage once those minutes are released here on air and online. Also, President Biden hitting the road today to sell his economic agenda, heading to Cleveland, planning, uh, discussing his plan to fix employer pension plans. As we mentioned, a lot of things coming out today. So today's economic data potentially providing some fresh fuel for stocks, hoping to capitalize on Tuesday's big midday reversal. Futures right now, well, a bit mixed, down very slightly, though. For more on the markets and where the action is within them, let's bring in John Najarian, Market Rebellion co-founder and a CNBC contributor. John, thanks for waking up. We appreciate it. Um, what are you seeing? I know you're somebody that watches the VIX a lot. Obviously, we're going to talk about the options market in just a second. But what are you seeing in the markets today, um, just with the Fed meetings, uh, Fed minutes, excuse me, later today, the dollar and the euro with parity, a lot of recession concerns. How do you see today shaping up? Well, Frank, yesterday on the show, you were hosting uh, halftime yesterday. We talked a little bit about uh, how they're still buying puts in a lot of the big indices like the S&P 500, the Russell 2000 and the QQQ, but they're not buying them as far out of the money as they were. And to us, that sort of signals that people aren't looking for as much of a whoosh lower, uh, but maybe just a little more of a grind lower over the next 30 days or thereabouts, because the nice thing about options, you've got an expiration and a strike price. So you've more or less got a target and a time frame for that target to be hit. So um, if there's a silver lining at all here, Frank, it's that uh, the, the pessimism isn't nearly as high as it was a month ago. And they are buying a lot of calls in the TLT. Now, that's a, an ETF on the Lehman 20-year bond. Now it's Barclays 20-year bond or whatever. But um, that's a bet that interest rates continue on their path lower instead of higher. Um, and that's something that stocks, I think, would certainly appreciate. We had a lot of upside call buying in that indice yesterday. And uh, like I say, that's a little bit of good news right. amongst a lot of the otherwise bad news, Frank. 
Yeah, those falling bond yields really helping out high growth stocks. You saw stocks like Roblox, DocuSign, Zoom having a really great day yesterday. Um, I know you're also invested in the oil sector. Um, today we got some news. The Secretary mm-hmm. General of OPEC passing away. Um, you know, I don't think we needed anything else to add to the volatility and the energy of the oil <laughs> markets. I just don't think we needed anything. Do you see that impacting anything? How do you see things shaping up? Because obviously we're dealing with that rising dollar, the dollar getting very strong, and also recession concerns in addition to this news um, with a bit of a shakeup in OPEC. Yeah, I think that's what it is. You're right. A shakeup in OPEC. Um, I wouldn't exactly say that this knocks the, uh, the legs out from under them. Um, I think overall, Frank, uh, to me anyway, energy looks like a buy here. Um, it, it's really just an issue of if we believe that the recession would be long and deep, then obviously energy could go significantly lower still um, because we are elevated even with the supply uh, being uh, reduced by the sanctions that are out there. So I, I think overall people would uh, uh, like to see the recession if indeed we have one. I think we're in one. But if we do have a recession, uh, hopefully it's going to be a shallow one, Frank. And to me, that says that energy just goes right back to work as soon as we stabilize. All right. We talked macro. We talked energy. We're going to explore all of our options and also talk about options. We've got to talk about options with you here. <laughs> yeah. um, you're looking at two areas that we thought would do a lot better during the pandemic, but have recently shown some weakness, fintech and electric vehicles. Yeah, um, fintech, that's PayPal, which has been one of the worst performing stocks. Uh, I mean, you could you'd really be hard pressed. You mentioned Roblox. Um, you'd be hard pressed to mention stocks that really have done worse than PayPal. But yesterday, uh, end of July, July 29th, expiring 80 calls. That's with that index or with that uh, stock trading at about $73. Um, So call it 10% out of the money. That's a decent amount of upside, especially given that uh, these are about three weeks out, almost four weeks out into the future. That's a pretty strong activity. And then switching gears over to uh, Lucid Technologies, EVs. Uh, just like Tesla, Lucid, uh, very popular with the crowd that uh, would like to keep driving by gas stations instead of driving in to fill them up. Um, this one's not nearly as far out of the money, though. Uh, July 18 calls with Lucid trading uh, $17.11. Uh, but both of those pretty strong activity. And we thought enough that we highlight for you this morning, Frank. John, always good to see you, man. Two times in the last 24 hours. Can't beat that. Thanks for being here. All right. Before we uh, let you Can't go. Can't get enough, we... Frank. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, man. Before we let you go, we're going to take one last check at the futures right now. The Dow down uh, very slightly. The S&P also down. The NASDAQ also down. But very early. We've got a couple hours ahead before the close. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.